Welcome to Web 2.5. I'm your host, Dana Hork. On the show, we spotlight innovation at the intersection of Web 2 and Web 3. And I have a very special back-to-back two-episode series featuring two powerhouses in the fashion world, Rebecca Minkoff and Michelle Reeves, to talk about just that. First up will be my interview with Rebecca Minkoff, the founder, designer, and entrepreneur behind the global fashion brand bearing her name. She's also the founder of the Female Founder Collective, an organization that supports, develops, and elevates the founders of female-owned and female-led businesses. She's also the author of Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success, and the host of the podcast, Superwomen, with Rebecca Minkoff. I also have the incredible Michelle Reeves on our show. Michelle is the co-founder and CEO of The Accessory Junkie, a Web2 company that curates unique jewelry and accessories from around the world. She built on her knowledge and expertise from The Accessory Junkie to now co-found and serve as the CEO of Mavion, a leading Web3 company focused on empowering women through fashion. Mavion's first NFT collection has been a pioneer in the physical meets digital realm, where NFT holders have access to the physical jewelry pieces featured in their NFT. And she's got an even bigger vision for how to use NFTs to help owners monetize their investments. While Rebecca and Michelle have known each other for years, they have recently teamed up on two NFT collections together, giving holders access to a unique slate of physical and digital assets and experiences. So I'm thrilled to dig into this truly Web 2.5 partnership this week, where I'll be running my interview with Rebecca, and again next week, where I continue the conversation with Michelle. So let's head into our first interview and welcome Rebecca Minkoff. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I'm so thrilled that you're here. I'm sure many of our listeners know your name and your fashion brand, but I know that there's so much to your story. And I'd love for you just to introduce yourself and catch us up on everything going on with you and, of course, the company as well. Oh, my gosh. Do we have the next couple of years? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Rebecca Minkoff, founder of Rebecca Minkoff and the Female Founder Collective. I started this company uh, with one handbag almost 18 years ago. And, you know, I think as we saw the evolution of the world of fashion and technology coming together, we decided to be the people that would be fearless in that approach and using it to our advantage. So while listeners might laugh, you know, we were the first to use influencers to be on social media. When I say the first as a brand, as a company, we were the first brand to talk to our customer when that was considered really taboo. And so I think that You know, if you look at the history of the brand, it's always used technology to leverage a deeper and more meaningful relationship with our customer. And that was the goal of also getting into Web3 and the launch of all of our various NFT projects was here's where it's going. It might be difficult right now for people who are in NFTs, but everyone's going to be using it in some form come the future. And so, you know, it's good to be first and to experiment and to try things and to see where it can take you. So that's what we're doing. I don't want to assume that our listeners know the early founding story of your company. Will you walk us through the genesis of your business from that first handbag, you know, forward? Yeah. So the bag was really based on a request from an actress who had sort of put me in the spotlight four years prior with a t-shirt. And I had been riding on the coattails of this t-shirt for about four years with an apparel line. And then she came back to me and said, do you design bags? And I lied to her and I said, yes. And, you know, that was the morning after bag, which didn't make the movie that she requested it to be in, but it spurred enough interest in just passerbys that I thought there was something to this. 
And so for me, it was, okay, now what do I do with this? And showed it to a couple people within the industry. A friend said, you know, I want to take a chance on this. I'll buy 12 units. And again, pre-social media, just to reframe everything, a website wrote about it. And people at that point liked getting emails. And it was exciting to get an email. The, the website was called Daily Candy. If you're over 30. I remember. I remember. <laughs> and so they wrote about it. And the rest is definitely not history, but it surely opened a ton of doors. Um, back then, that one website had the power to transform and grow brands in ways that I don't think exist today. And so that's that was the genesis. And when was your first introduction into the world of crypto and Web3? That conversation started back in March of 2021, March, April, I was actually doing an interview with Forbes and my friend who's an editor there was like, why aren't you doing NFTs? And I was like, oh, shoot, if you're asking me, I'm late to the party. And so I was like, how do we do this? And so we began to ideate what we could do in September for Fashion Week and partnered with a female founded NFT platform called The Dematerialize and did digital goods. So you could buy the real thing. You could buy the NFT, buy both. And, you know, that collection did phenomenally well. It sold out in nine minutes. Um, we went back again last March with another collection that was not based on anything physical. Again, I like to experiment and say, okay, if we can have a fantasy world, let's do it. And that collection did very well. And then when I heard what Mavion was doing, and I've known Michelle free her life now, I knew her when she had her first kid. I was just impressed with the fact that they're building a platform that has long-term financial wealth potential built into it. And I liked the fact that the royalties that women or anyone holding these assets could make in the future are exciting. And so thought that we could have a really fun time planning this NFT launch, as well as, you know, having the community get together, vote on a bag, help me pick it, help me decide the color, the hardware, and um, see what happens. So you've done two collections together with Mavion and Michelle. Uh, you had one earlier this year, and then you just dropped your second. Can you walk me through each of the collections and specifically what the utility and the perks and the experiences are across both of them? Yeah, so the first was really just a prelude to this one. In that drop, which was a very expensive proposition, you were buying five NFTs that we just released. Plus five people would get a one-of-a-kind bag. So with this last collection that we launched, we wanted to put in some gamification. You know, to get a bag, you actually have to get a pair, which is fun because there's so much great artwork that people are buying and reselling and trying to get a pair. Um, and then there's a ton of perks from Fashion Week tickets to Mavion events to gift cards. We're going to be emailing holders and special discounts. So we really wanted to build in as much utility as we could to the offering because I firmly believe that in this world that is unstable, at the end of the day, if you know you got to go to a fashion show or get a gift card or vote on a bag, you know, if all this went to zero, you still got something incredibly valuable and priceless. The story just told begs the question for me about your customer targeting strategy in your latest NFT drop. With these perks and benefits and when you're marketing the collection, are you marketing to your existing Rebecca Minkoff customer base? Are you marketing to a new Web3 customer base? Are you trying to get both groups together? Who are you trying to appeal to? 
So today, and it was the same with the dematerialized, they're very separate customer bases. We're messaging to ours. Our customer base takes more than a one and done to be onboarded. It's going to take consistent and long-term messaging to get her to transfer. You know, when we did the dematerialize, I was shocked that almost like 98% of the purchasers were from out of the country. And we don't currently have any representation of the brand in Europe post-COVID. So that was a whole new customer base. That's great for us. And then with Mavion, you know, the first drop was all Mavions. The second drop, you know, is a mix. I think for us, like, yes, we want our customer to come along. And, you know, it's great now that we have new customers. We'll never say no to that. Those are expensive things to acquire. So the more we can get, the better. Stepping back, what is so compelling to you and the company about Web3? There's so many things that you could be investing your time and resources and energy into. Why are you spending time on Web3 versus everything else you could be focused on? Well, I'm curious, what could I be focused on? (laughs) Because right now, if I'm being honest, it is not a good use of my time. But that's another story. But I'm just curious what you think would be like something that I should be focusing on instead. Oh, I think Web3 is the future. I mean, I think from my perspective that, you know, we haven't talked about the metaverse yet, but the metaverse could open a whole new world of shopping. NFTs creates a whole new way to facilitate a membership with transferability and, and tokenization. So embedded in my question was not, you're spending time on the wrong things, but actually I'm so curious to hear what speaks to you about it. And you know, which parts of it do you find the most compelling given there's so many dimensions to the world of Web3? So I think I agree with you that it is the future, but I think that it's a future that is going to have a lot of start and stops. I think everyone, let's just say last year was like, you saw the valuations, you saw the sellouts, you saw the resale value of these things, you saw where Bitcoin was going and it was like, great. And then it crashed and obviously everyone hesitates. So I think at the end of the day, I have to hold firm to the fact that 98% of my time is in building a brand with physical goods and we are experimenting and playing in Web3 and seeing what works, what doesn't work. But the minute it doesn't work for a long enough amount of time is the minute that I'm not going to spend my time doing it. So I don't think we ever try something once. We're pretty consistent and try things for a while. And so I hope it comes back because I think that the opportunities for designers to fund their collections through tokenization have, you know, customers that never buy a physical good that just purely dress digitally. I think all those things are possible, but things need to bounce back a little bit more for it to be worth more people's while. You and Michelle both have been champions for equity and representation in business generally and in Web3. Why is it so important to you broadly and in Web3 to spend time on driving more representation in the space? I just think that women have been left out of this conversation in so many levels, whether it's finance and tech. And so here's an opportunity that we don't have to be left out. And you can see which the growth of so many amazing platforms like BFF or Hug or Mavion or all of the various Web3 platforms that women are excited, they're bullish, and we refuse to be excluded this time. You mentioned a couple companies in that last answer. I'd love for you to highlight some people or companies in Web3 that you think are innovative, that inspire you, that you think people should check out and get to know? I think Boss Beauty. I have watched Lisa literally have 
$9 in her bank account in trying to support young women and with her previous company and just door after door being closed. And then she pivoted. She launched her first collection of Boss Beauties. I think she did a couple million dollars in 90 minutes. And I was like, yes. You know, just I was so excited for her. And now she has investments from Serena Williams and she's working with incredible companies like Barbie and really helping shape the future of how these two worlds come together. So seeing someone struggle so hard and then have that outcome is beautiful. And I think, you know, BFF's done a great job of galvanizing a community, mostly women that are just excited to be in this world and having conversations and educating each other. So last year, you published a book called Fearless. I'd love for you to share more about the book. And then I'd love for you to give advice to folks who are fearful of dabbling in Web3 and what lessons you can draw on from your book that might help people get over the hump in exploring this new world. I think that the book is called Fearless because... I want people to know that fear is an emotion that's hardwired into us. It's never going to go away. You do it anyways. You do it in spite of. And so rather than have a book telling my story, I took my story and turned it into sort of the new rules I considered to be successful and retested those rules during the pandemic and found that they worked. They're just sort of my principles for success. So again, you don't finish the book and say, I don't have any fear. But you just say, yeah, I'm scared, but let's do it anyways. And now risk-taking for me is I am no longer scared. It's exciting and fun, and it's a source of adrenaline. And at the end of the day, you either learn something if you failed or you had a success. And both those things are incredibly valuable. So if you're looking to sort of reframe how you think about business or even personal life stuff, definitely get the book. It's on audio. It's wherever books are sold. Are there any principles from your book that you think could help folks who feel fearful or concerned about dabbling in the world of Web3, right? If you're reading the headlines, all you see is, you know, people got scammed, the market is down. It feels like, you know, not an open, welcoming place. And there's probably a lot of fears that people have about getting in the game. And so I wanted to ask if there were any lessons from your book to share with folks that might help them sort of get over the hump of the fear of Web3. I think that you should go into it. If you're investing, what can you afford to lose? And that's what can you stomach losing if it all goes away? That's how I looked at, you know, my initial investments in the space. And I think that you should be smart and do your research about what will do well, what has longevity, what's hype, what's not. And, you know, there are enough big companies working on this that it's not going to go away. And just like there was the dot-com boom in the 90s and then a lot of people went out of business and a lot of people lost a lot of money, that's going to happen and has already happened. Yep. And it might not get better for another year. But, you know, I bought into Bitcoin at $18 or so when it was 18 many years ago. And now it's, what is it, below that now? You know, so like, hey, if one is smart, they'll get back in and they'll buy even more. So I just think it's like, what's your risk tolerance? And hold on. You know, it's the same with the stock market. I called my guy when it crashed and I was like, oh my gosh. And he's like, you're young. You got 25 years before you need to worry about it. So I think it's going to be the same. There's going to be the ups and downs and you just have to be, you have to be able to hold on for the ride. And know that sometimes you'll make the wrong choices. That's the thing, right? Like it's a shots on goal game, right? Investing is a shots on goal game, you know, in the real world in Web3, right? And you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But if you don't show up and start to learn and start to try things, you might miss out. 
One question for you. So that was really around the personal side of dabbling in Web3. You know, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but there's a lot of CEOs, founders, executives inside existing businesses, right, that are trying to figure out what parts of Web3 they should pull into their business. There's so many places to start. Is there any advice that you have, given where your company started in the journey, that you would share with others from a business perspective about how to think about where to start pulling it into an existing business? I have different answers for different areas. Yep. Uh, if you're in fashion, I say try a digital collection, try just digital and build in as much utility. Imagine a world where you could buy the NFT and that lets you in on a fitting or front row tickets or meeting the designer backstage. What are the priceless things that no one can buy that you can fund your collections, fund your fashion shows, fund your production of? And for bigger companies that have audience and scale and reach, you know, there's incredible things happening with what Lacoste did, which I'm frankly in shock about with, you know, 75 bucks gets you to help design a t-shirt. I think they sold like 11,000 of those. Or you see what Forever 21 did with the hat, the 50 cent hat on Roblox. So there's lots of people trying different things and seeing what works. So experiment is what I would say. Yep. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you'd like to talk about, whether it's your podcast or more about the book or the business or anything else that you're working on? Is there anything else that you'd want to cover? I think that the podcast is really an extension of my amplification of women and women doing incredible things, but also hearing that they don't always have it together. And that's part of the story I like to tell. I think we have a culture that props up perfection. And so it's nice to hear the backstory and how someone made it and failed. So if you're curious or need that dose of inspiration, I encourage you to download the podcast as well. That's great. And if people want to get more information about Rebecca Mikoff, the company or the NFT collection, where should people go? So RebeccaMinkoff.com. And if you want to see the NFT collection, you can head over to OpenSea. You can also still mint if you go to Mavion. And we are keeping minting open because Michelle and I had a lot a lot of talks about like, well, you have to mint and then close it and then sell out. And uh, we were like, but people need, just in giving my office, like we did a tutorial, half my office showed up and a third open wallets. And that was, you know, we didn't make it mandatory, but that's a segment, an example of how much time people need. You know, my president has 10 wallets. She doesn't even know how to access any of the wallet addresses. So it just goes to show you the time to set this stuff up, to get it going, to understand it is a lot longer. So we said, let's keep minting open for a while and keep talking about this. It doesn't have to be this by today, it's gone tomorrow. Um, and so... I encourage you to learn everything you can about Web3. It is a new language. It is not instantly understandable. I'm still figuring stuff out. So don't be intimidated by it and just dive in and see what happens. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. This was such a great conversation and I so appreciate your time and perspective. We will be back next week with part two, my conversation with Mavion co-founder and CEO, Michelle Reeves, to get her vision for fashion and Web3 and her perspective on some of our conversations today with Rebecca. I hope you'll tune in. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Web 2.5. If you liked our show, please hit subscribe so you can get alerts and updates when we post new content. Thank you so much. See you next time.